512 grueling miles and 31,000 feet of climbing was the challenge for racers of the Hoodoo 500 event recently, taking riders through the beautiful state of Utah, including Red Canyon, Bryce Canyon, the Grand Staircase, Escalante, Cedar Banks, and more. On today's episode, we'll be hearing from the overall winner of this year's race, American racer Dave Hasse, who rode Hoodoo self-supported in the Voyager category, setting two course records and clinching the number one spot on the podium overall, outcompeting both the self-supported and supported racers. I'm your host, Justin Tu. Let's roll. Hey, Ultra family, Justin Tu here, your host of the Ultra Cycling Show. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode where we'll we'll be covering the Hoodoo 500 with the Voyager category champion, Dave Hasse. Dave, thanks for joining the program today. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be able to speak with you just one week after the race, right? Yeah, I do. It's just exactly, yeah. I was was suffering right now, probably sitting at a gas station refueling to get to the finish line. So (laughs) Wow. Okay, we're going to dive into all of that after a quick sprint round of questions, just a series of questions where we can get to know you in a nutshell. You can answer in a few sentences. Just a fun way to get started. The first question, Dave, how long have you even been riding bicycles? Uh, it's uh, been about uh, 30 years where I've been riding pretty seriously. Right. And of course, you've done the Race Across America on how many occasions? Uh, I've done it seven times. Wow. Five finishes and two DNFs. Right. Amongst yeah. the host of other ultra racers, uh, races, rather, and so you're very experienced. How long have you actually been an ultra cyclist? Um, I, I would say it's uh, now probably getting close to about uh, what I would consider maybe 17, 18 years. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So not, not, you know, I mean a long time, but you know, it's not been all of my riding career. I used to do a lot of crit racing and, and, uh, mountain biking and had a lot of fun doing that. And I just started riding further and further. So, okay. So definitely a strong rider, not just one that likes to ride long distances. How many bicycles do you own, Dave? Uh, own, uh, six, six. Six. Okay. And, and I see your, your background there. It looks like a, a bike shop. I mean, there's so much gear there. Tell me about that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm the owner of Attitude Sports. Um, been in the bike business for now 25. This is our 25th year. Um, nice. And I've worked in the bike shop. It's been my passion um, since I got started. It's kind of how I started the shop. Um, and uh, so I get to do every day what I love to do. That's really awesome. And where are you guys located? We're located in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Mm. And that's where you live. But you do yeah. a lot of racing all over the U.S., so I'm sure you're traveling quite a bit then. Yeah, whenever I can. You know, there's not a lot of ultra races uh, locally, so uh, I do end up traveling to the, to the bigger main races that I, that I view as like important stepping stones for different events. So, yes. Mm. Cool, cool. All right, so you have about five or six bikes that you commonly use. What's your favorite of those bicycles? Um, geez, uh, I'm, I, I, well, we're a specialized dealer, so I have, uh, oh. you know, a Roubaix and a Tarmac and uh, oh, nice. uh, Diverge. Um, I think I like to spend the most time on my gravel bike, the Diverge. 
Hmm. Although in Wisconsin, we hardly have any gravel. So then same deal. I got to travel to kind of find gravel. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I spend most of my time riding the uh, Roubaix. Then I can kind of venture wherever I want to go when I'm out on the road. Hmm. And is your Roubaix the most comfortable bike that you have? It is also, yeah, probably the most comfortable. Widest tires. uh, Well, uh, a little bit wider tires on it and has the future shock that makes it smooth. And so, yeah, Hmm. it is, I would say, my most comfortable bike. Cool. Yeah, I actually own a Roubaix myself, and I must say, very comfortable, especially for a long ride on on, on bad tarmac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. Okay, Dave, what bicycle computer is your preference? A Garmin? Uh, I use uh, I use the Garmin. Garmin? Okay. The, the 1030. Oh, okay, a very popular one. What's your favorite ride snack, Dave? My favorite ride snack? Well, a peanut butter bar. Uh, I stop at oh. a local coffee shop that makes homemade peanut butter bars, and I get one of nice. those every day I'm out for a ride, so... Oh, cool. And you did a ride just this morning, right? I did. Yep. I did. Yep. So, and I stopped at that coffee shop and had a coffee and peanut butter bar and then came home to cool. uh, get to work later today. And how long was your ride this morning? Uh, 75 miles. Nice. Okay. Good training ride. Or is that on the shorter end for you? Uh, that's a, that's pretty average. You know, I don't mm-hmm. go out and do lots of super long rides, but I would mm-hmm. say I'm very consistent uh, 40 to 75 miles daily. Mm, okay. Pretty good. And was there any particular structure in today's workout? Uh, there was not. Um, it was a little bit still of a recovery from uh, from doing the hoodoo, although I was yeah. pushing the pace on climbs uh, only. So mm-hmm. whenever I had a climb, I would push the pace up the climb. But for the most part, today was not structured really uh, at all. Mm. How tall are you, Dave? I'm six foot. Okay. So one of the taller riders. And how much do you weigh? Uh, 162. Oh, wow. Okay. So would you say you're pretty good on the climbs then? Uh, I'm okay at climbing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, um, sometimes I think I'm good and then I get crushed by people. So, uh, you know, oh, okay. I'm, I would say I'm an, an above average climber, but it's not, um, I don't know if it's my specialty for sure. Mm. Okay. After a long, hard ride, like Hoodoo 500, what's your favorite post ride meal? Um, I, well, pizza is always my favorite post-ride meal. Um, huh. after the hoodoo, I went to get some pizza, but the pizza place was closed. So I had, oh. uh, I, I went and had some, uh, uh, Mexican, I had some, uh, fish tacos. Oh, delicious. Now, how many Not of so those great when you're in Utah, they're better oh. in San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And how can, how many tacos can you eat after a long ride like that? You, you know, usually my mind is telling me I'm starving, but once I start eating, um, it's not very many. I don't feel like I eat very much right after the next day. Then I do crave uh, a lot more food. So it's mm. always a little hard right after because my mind tells me I'm hungry, but, um, I, I start to eat and it's like, I'm not really as hungry as I thought. Right. Right. And of course you're, you're eating plenty and, and staying hydrated throughout the whole ride. So I could imagine you're not starving just right after. Yeah, generally speaking, you know, when you do Voyager, that's one of the challenges is to keep your food and nutrition and hydration um, proper because it's a little hard to keep track of it all. And you're, Mm. you know, you can't always eat what you want or drink what you want because you're relying on some gas stations once in a while for food. And Mm. so um, so generally speaking, that's good. Right. Now, um, outside of of eating, what's your favorite ride hydration? Um, I use uh, Tailwinds. as my hydration product. So I, I like that because it has 200 calories. 
Um, there's no maltodextrin in it like a lot of other drinks, and my stomach does not like the maltodextrin. So I mm. find that all of the flavors of Tailwinds are really good. I, I, I enjoy all of them. And they have okay. some caffeinated ones and, and non-caffeinated. And is that what you use for all of your ultra racers, including the Race Across America? I, I have for the last uh, probably three or four years just used Tailwinds, yep. In terms of terrain, do you prefer riding on the climbs, the descents, the rollers, or the flats? Um, you know, I, I think I like rollers. Um, as long as I can roll fast enough to get up over the top of them. Yeah. Um, long climbs wear me out for sure. Um, you know, if it's a continuous long climb, those uh, I, I don't love. Um, and, and, I, and I do like to go fast. So if I can mm. keep some momentum and speed and do the rollers, that's, that's pretty good. I like those. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you're the first on the show that likes the rollers, Dave. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Good. First place. Well, that's there, what we yeah. have in Wisconsin. We have no big climbs. We have a lot of uh, rollers. I see. Okay. Do you know what your max speed down a hill is, Dave? Are you pretty comfortable descending? I, I'm fairly comfortable. Um, I crashed uh, a couple of years ago at a gravel race and uh, hmm. broke some vertebrae and collarbone and um, a uh, bunch of other parts, scapula. Wow. So since then, I haven't been going quite as fast. Um, that was on a descent, and I was flying on a gravel descent and hit a rock and blew my wheel apart. So since oh, then, cool. I've been a little more timid. Um, yeah. I would say I'm not bad considering I live in Wisconsin. Mm. <laughs> I think if I lived in the mountains, I would be much better. Yeah, right. Okay, when do you enjoy riding the most through the year? A particular season, fall, winter, spring, or summer? I love the fall. That's my favorite time around here in Wisconsin. So we're just getting into my favorite time of year to ride, you know, September, October, early November, uh, our leaves start to change colors and the trees and it's slightly cooler. And uh, so I, I like the fall the best. Yeah. Sounds nice. How about a time of day that you prefer riding? Uh, for sure. Early morning. I get up early every morning. I'm out when it's dark and, and ride uh, as the sun comes up. So that's my favorite time. For sure. Okay. I'm much stronger in the morning than I am at night too. Mm. What was the temperature this morning on your ride? Uh, it started out uh, about 55 degrees. So it was oh. not too bad. Pretty good. Yeah. I had to wear arm warmers today. So, mm. And is that a nice temperature for you? Yeah, I, I do like that. I, I don't love super hot weather. So mm. that's a, a really nice temperature. Yes. Mm. But of course, you've done it Race Across America and many of these other events where you are going through hot places like the deserts. How do you fare in, in those kinds of conditions? That's my, that's my toughest part of uh, when I do RAM is I, if mm. I can get through the desert, then I know that uh, things are going to be pretty good and, and get through decently. So that's always my biggest fear mm. um, in RAM is, is getting through the, uh, the heat of the desert. And then, um, you know, in, in, in Hoodoo, it wasn't uh, as hot as it's been. So that was pretty good. Um, mm. So definitely, though, that is when I struggle the most is when it, you know, when it's, 95 and above, I'm not, I, I don't like that temperature very much. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, Dave, do you think ultra cycling requires more physical or mental training? Uh, you know, I think it's about equal. You certainly have to be fit, mm -hmm. um, but it, a lot of the racing is, is mental, um, you know, so staying on your bike um, and focusing when it's hot or windy or you've got a headwind after 30 hours, you know, that, that takes a lot of mental strength. But you still have to physically be capable of 
riding that those distances. So I, yeah. I think it's both equally important. Mm, definitely. Okay, Dave, you've done a lot of ultra events. What would you say is your favorite? Uh, you know, I think, um, I, I think the hoodoo race overall, hmm. for some reason, that's my favorite. I've only done it as a Voyager. Um, I, I like the difference in the variant, varied terrains in the course and different temperatures and things about it. And, um, there are points where you can have drop bags, but they're far enough apart that you, you may struggle with it. So, um, it, I've had three finishes there that have been really good finishes and I've had two DNFs. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that race can is, oh. is hard and challenging. So I think mm -hmm. I like that race as one of the best races. Incredible. Now we're all five of those, uh, as a Voyager. Yes. Yep. I've only done that race as a Voyager. Mm. So for those who don't know, describe what the Voyager category entails. Uh, so the Voyager category basically is you are, um, mostly self-supported in that you have to carry all of your own supplies, um, bike, um, repair parts, tubes, everything like that. Um, there are time stations where you can have a drop bag. Um, so in, in Hoodoo, there was a few drop bags where you could leave uh, clothing, uh, water, food, nutrition. Um, and, and so you're mostly self-supporting. So a lot of times you're stopping at gas stations along the way, convenience stores, where, wherever you can stop to, to get the extra supplies that you need to get to the finish line. So, uh, so I like that because uh, partly for my, me as well, traveling longer distances to do races, um, it's just less expensive to do some of these cool ultra races that way. Um, and, and it's also really challenging both physically and mentally. Yeah, I can imagine adds a different element to what's already a difficult endeavor. It does. Yes. Yes. And so Dave, I'm looking here at a photo that was posted by the Hoodoo 500 organizers, uh, Hoodoo 500 Voyager champion, Dave Hossie from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, crushed the field and set a new Voyager and Voyager 50 plus record. So 35 hours, 43 minutes. And that's covering 500 miles, right? Yeah, it is. Yep, five five hundred and twelve to be exact. Five hundred and twelve miles, and how many feet of climbing? Ooh, geez, I, I think there's about thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two thousand feet of climbing in that race. Incredible. Let's take a look. I do have it up here. Here's the Hoodoo500.com website, so we could get some glimmer here from this photograph of what. You were looking at for 35 hours. Yeah, it's you know that's the great thing about that race is it's super beautiful. You're in uh, Zion and Bryce Canyons and the Hoodoo's, and um, this is the first time I've ever gotten over Boulder Mountain when it was still daylight in all of the times I've done the race, which is a pretty good feat. And uh, I got to see some extra scenery that was phenomenal. So it's that's mm -hmm. one of the things I like about the race is the scenery is beautiful. Yeah, I could imagine. And so the race pulling up here to the Ride with GPS route, it is in Utah, so towards the western side of the United States for those who don't know. And of course, you are in Wisconsin. Let's see, this is some trivia. Here is Wisconsin. I found it. Yep. In under five seconds. All right. There you go. Very cool. So you made it all the way out here. I'd imagine you drove out. I flew, flew into flew Vegas. Okay. Oh, okay. So you packed all of your gear and 
then had to assemble that again? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, very cool. So it looks like it's, it is, not what, 99.9% .9 in Utah, but it, I see here it is just skirting through Arizona? Yeah, we did drop into Arizona for a little bit, you bet. Yep. Awesome. So just looking here, we could see the elevation chart, and when you start over here in St. George, Utah, looks mm -hmm. like you're making quite an ascent through a lot of the course. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's a wow. whole new perspective. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like it approaches almost 10,000 feet at the, yep. highest, at the highest point, or is the highest point over here actually at the end? Yep, it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. the second mountain is the highest. So there's two, two mountains that uh, hit about 9,500 feet. Wow. Okay. So the course is a counterclockwise course then? It is. Yep. Kind of loops around and then comes back almost together. and. Mm. So I see these which, icons here are showing the different time stations. You were talking about that, and you yes. said that you were able to have some drop bags at each of these locations, but it does look like they are spaced quite far apart, I mean, given that it is a 512-mile course. Yeah, they are. Time station one for me was uh, 89 miles, and I just actually, at that time station, I had four water bottles is hmm. it. And wow. then time station two is just a gas station on the course. So you're mm. there, you're purchasing your own supplies at the gas station. Mm. Um, and, and there are no drop bags there. And then at time station three in Escalante, that's where I, I really got my first uh, um, drop bag. Um, and that's where I picked up my warm clothes because we were mm. gonna go climb over Boulder Mountain, so. Oh, wow, okay. Now, what time did you start the race? Uh, start at 5 a.m. Okay. So you get a ride through all of the day. How, how much ground did you cover within that, that first uh, 24 hours? First, oh, 20, first 24 hours, I made it to uh, time station uh, uh, six. Uh, let's see, what city was that? Um, time station six, let's see here. Oh, would have wow. been Over here? Uh, not Cedar City, it would have been uh, Panquich. Panquich okay. is, uh, I got there. Oh, wow, incredible. Now, tell me about the temperature throughout the 35 hours that you were racing. So you started at 5 a.m. What was the temperature like then and the conditions? It was actually pretty decent. It was about 70 degrees when we started. Hmm. Um, and there was a bit of overcast, um, which was a very nice thing. So there were moments when it almost rained or there were a few drops. I think some racers did get rained on. Wow. And it got to a high of about um, 90, probably 95 hmm. um, the first day but it was all, the still was not a lot of sun. It was mostly cloud covered. So um, that was good. And then it got down as I was heading into Panquich, it's a descent into Panquich. And, and there I got really cold. It got down to about 39 degrees, 38 degrees. Wow. Um, so I was a little cold. I, did, I forgot to bring knee warmers. And uh, so I was a little chilled heading into Panquich. Mm, I can imagine. And that was probably the lowest temperature. It you know, dropped down to about 38 um, there. Oh, yeah, that's, that's very, very cold. Yes, yes. And then the second part of the day, it warmed up really quick. So when I left Cedar City, which is probably, I think, one of the most challenging parts of the course, um, you're on a, just a steady incline, usually into a headwind, and that's what we had. And it got very warm at that point. It was probably 10, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, 11. 
and it warmed up to, uh, you know, probably a hundred degrees that day. So, wow. So from 38 to a hundred, that's quite a range to account for, especially as a, an unsupported rider where you're self-supported. Yes. Yeah. And, you end up carrying a few too many clothes. Right. So now that's I, pretty standard gear. Yeah. Yeah. So th this photo is actually from your race across Oregon, right? It is. Yep. Yeah. So just about a month ago, you rode that also as a Voyager. How did you do in that event? Uh, I won that event as well. Nice. Um, overall. So incredible. Yeah. Overall. And, and so even for the Hoodoo 500, my understanding is with your 35 hour ride time, you did also get the overall, not just the Voyager category, right? Yeah. I finished five hours ahead of the next, uh, person in the race. Incredible. And, and was that person supported or also riding? Supported. 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 Incredible. Yep. And so does that ever cross your mind as you're racing as a Voyager, you know, trying to keep, keep an eye out for those supported riders and trying to compete uh, with them? Does that motivate you? <laughs> totally. Every time I enter a race, that's the goal is for me to be the first finisher. Um, and, and a lot of times I even want to beat the teams that are out there. Um, wow. There was a really first fast team in, in this year's event, so that was mm. impossible. Mm. Um, but I did, I did get passed by a few uh, little bit slower four-person teams, and that kind of upset me a little bit. My goal is mm. to always <laughs> win the race overall yeah. when I do a Voyager event. So, right. um, But that's, that's kind of a big dream, too, because <laughs> the, the teams are way faster for sure. Right, right. Well, incredible effort. So Dave, looking at this, it looks like a standard setup for your Voyager kinds of races. Tell me about what you have here. It looks like a very nice uh, setup that you've, you've uh, developed over, I, I'd imagine, over the years. Yeah, you know, it, in, in the Hoodoo race, one time I came over Boulder Mountain and it was raining in about 35 degrees and I had to drop out. I got so cold, I was by myself. Hmm. So I didn't have the right gear. So after that, I made a commitment to always make sure I had rain gear, um, jackets and warm enough gear to, that I would survive. So, um, I, I started always carrying a raincoat and here the temperature in, in, in race across Oregon got cooler, but I had my, I try to carry not too much gear. So I always have the raincoat. So I put my raincoat on here, even though it was sunny, but that was more for warmth. But, um, I carry a pack. Um, this happens to be an Osprey pack that I use and like, um, it's one of my smaller ones. So, the, the trick is trying to go as light as you can so you're fast, mm. but still have enough gear with you that you're not suffering. So in, in my pack, I carry a spare battery mm. for my lights. Um, and I like to use have a headlight on my helmet that I don't always use, um, but I like to have that in case I get a flat tire or I need it for repair. Or uh, in one instance in the Hoodoo one year, my headlight went out and I had to use the my helmet light to get to the um, time station so I could wow. get another battery and that just I got there just as that light went out too so um, but I carry so I have a some warm jacket arm warmers um, I actually have some arm coolers batteries and some food so I imagined you you said you pack light but there are some gas stations and other things along the route so I had imagined you plan for that Yes, I do. I, you know, I carry um, my drink mix with me, but not necessarily water mm. so that uh, if I can, 
you know, I kind of look at the map and say, okay, uh, our checkpoints are here and these are where cities where I can get water, mm-hmm. um, which is getting a challenging in some of these events. Um, but um, because certain things, especially in these COVID times, we have some of the gas stations and stuff are closed. You know, there's not as many open when you're in the remote mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I get water from those areas and use my drink mix. Mm, interesting. And so it, it does look like in this pack, you are able to carry some amount of, of water in there? Yes. Uh, you know, I start out the race uh, with that pack. When, when I've, like in, in, in Oregon, I did use the um, hydration system in the pack mm-hmm. um, for the first setup. So it's a 50-ounce bladder in there. Once I got, um, once that was empty, I just used water bottles and continued to use water bottles the rest of the time because I was able to get my water bottles filled. And um, that was a little more of a precaution to make sure I could get far enough along the course that I could carry, um, you know, that I I would have enough water. So um, I, I am able to carry water. I just always don't necessarily like to if I don't have to. Yeah, makes sense. And I see on your setup here, well, what bike is this one here? That's a Tarmac. Mm. Um, and I'm running the Tarmac with 28 uh, tires. And I have um, four water bottles on that bike. So I have two in the main area. And then I have a seat uh, holding um, basically a mount like a triathlete would use oh, where yeah. I had my four water bottles and spare tire and stuff mm-hmm. kind of attached to that. Um, the only issue I don't like about that is when you're climbing, it's a lot of weight in the back of the bike. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm going to do another uh, Voyager race. I'm trying to figure out how to get my water lower on the bike so it's not as uh, top heavy. Mm. Yeah, sounds like a good optimization. Now, I see on your front you have your aero bars. They're pretty low. They're not raised. Is that pretty common for you, even in the race it, across America? It is, yep. That's, my, that's the setup I've been using for uh, a long time. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I, I'd say quite uncommon in, in the ultra world because it's much more of an aggressive position. But I'd imagine your, your back, your arms, everything is all dialed in and used to that. Uh, for, for the most part, it is. Yeah, that's, you know, in 2019 when I did Ram, though, that's where I struggled because I had hmm. crashed and hurt my shoulder. Um, in, in, well, I crashed in two, two different times, in, in, once in 17 and once in 2018. And I think my setup for Ram might have been a little more uh, aggressive and my arm kind of gave out, my shoulder gave out. So, but I oh. still like that setup. I don't ride an, an aero bike or a time trial bike. So I like to mm. ride the same bike most of the race. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that setup. Mm. Now in something like the Race Across America where you do have a crew, you also bring in a spare bikes as well. Um, so if something does happen, you can quickly switch out. Now when you're riding Voyager, you only have the single bike. So I'd imagine that adds some level of anxiety, perhaps. It for sure does, you know, and, and in, in Hoodoo this year, I got a flat within the first 15 miles. Oh my I, goodness. You know, so I got that yeah. fixed. Um, the guys that were in the race all passed me and I, you know, passed them back. Yeah. Um, one year in Hoodoo, I got like eight flats. So Holy I, my drop pegs always have lots of CO2 and tubes in them just because, you know, you never yeah. know. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, that is always an issue is, you know, if something happens to your bike, so you've got to carry, you know, obviously chain tools and Mm. sometimes I'll even carry just a chain pre-cut to the right size in case I would break a chain. But, um, that's always, always an issue and always have enough money on you in the, 
Voyager in case you need to bribe someone to drive you back to the start line. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tip. I hope everyone makes a note of that one. Uh, Dave, <laughs> right. on any of your, your self-supported or Voyager races, have you ever had to drop out of the race because of a, a big a technical issue with your bicycle? Um, I have not. Um, in, in one hoodoo race, um, I had gotten nine flats. I had no flats or no tubes left. Um, and I wow. did end up dropping out of that race, but it was more because I had gotten so cold on mm. a descent at night that I just couldn't warm up. Wow. Um, and, and one of the officials that was driving to that checkpoint actually ended up picking me up. I sat in his car for a while and realized I wasn't going to warm up. I was a little bit of hypothermia. And uh, so, wow. no, I've never had to drop because of a bike issue. Mm. I've wanted to create bike issues once in a while. <laughs> Um, but I've never, uh, I've never done that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and I guess that is encouraging for, for myself and even others watching. I mean, you've done so many self-supported events and hundreds of miles. So, uh, you know, all of us can kind of rest more assured that when we're on our short training rides, 50 miles, hundred miles, or even a 200 mile that we shouldn't stress too much about that. <laughs> no, no, I, I do carry a two, I carry a tire always because oh, I've had do. issues. Mm. So I do carry a, a replacement tire and, mm. um, and then I just carry, you know, as many tubes as I think I can. So I always put extra tubes right. in my drop bags just uh, in case I need them as I approach. Um, and that comes from the, uh, for one who do where I flatted a lot. I realized, mm. you know, it would be really bad to drop out of a race cause you flatted and didn't have right, any more right. tubes. Right. Now on your bike that you're, you're racing in, in the race across Oregon, it was the tarmac. Was it the same in the Hoodoo 500? It was. Yep. It same was. exact okay. bike, pretty much the same setup. So before, fact, a, mm -hmm. before a big event, like one of these 500 mile races, what are you doing uh, to your bike in terms of maintenance uh, beforehand? And are you swapping out the tires with ones that you only use, for example, for racing purposes? Uh, I'm not, you know, I, I wear out my tires fairly quickly, you know, when you throw, you know, like in, for instance, a couple 500 mile races. So before Hoodoo, mm -hmm. the week before Hoodoo, I did um, a 12 hour uh, race at a local racetrack that we had wow. and I did 240 miles um, Saturday. Oh my goodness. The day, you know, Saturday before the race. So I looked at my tires and they were good. I don't switch them out, you know, usually unless they're nicked up and checked a lot, then I might. Otherwise, I just kind of go with what I have and mm. do it on a pretty regular basis to begin with. So, Right. Okay. Good to know. So the weekend before you did a huge event that most people, um, you know, plan a whole year in advance, you were doing a 200 plus mile tapering ride. <laughs> yeah, Tell me yeah, about yeah. your strategy when it comes to training and building up to certain events. I mean, you did just a month ago, the race across Oregon, 500 plus miles. And a week before yep. this event, you did a 200 plus miles. I and mean, is that tapering yeah. for you? <laughs> it, it, it isn't. That probably wasn't smart, but you know, it was the only uh, one. It was a race that was actually happening. It was for a, a charity for a good cause. Mm. And it was only 20 miles from my house. So I almost had to go do it. You know, how do you not do that race? Yeah. Probably wasn't the smartest. I suffered um, on the big second climb of the hoodoo, probably because of that event. And I pushed that event really hard. I finished, um, I did 240 miles in the 12 hours on the track and I finished um, second. A guy did uh, 12 more miles than me. Um, oh. So I raced pretty hard. I was over, you know, 20 miles an hour on that 
racetrack um, with some, there's a couple really good climbs on it. Um, but that's not normal. Usually I, I don't do a huge event like that. I just kind of do my standard riding, but I recover pretty quick. So usually, you know, after a, a week of easy riding, I'm pretty much recovered from uh, the events that I do. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. For those who don't know, Dave, how old are you? I'm uh, 52. Incredible. So usually as you get later in your years, recovery becomes an issue and you need a longer period of time. But it sounds like that's not really the case for you. I mean, racing 240 uh, odd miles and, and then within a week being able to come out for a 512 mile event, that seems uh, atypical. Tell me about what you do during the week in between in order to recover from a big ride. Um, well, it's uh, pretty consistent. Uh, pretty consistent that I um, I um, ride, like I said, 20, uh, 40 to 70 miles every day. Hmm. Um, and so that's pretty consistent. So I don't do really anything different than that. I'm just hmm. very consistent with what I do. I don't necessarily follow a specific taper schedule or anything like that. I just uh, do, you know, do my standard riding and things like that. Hmm. So I don't so, necessarily so the, follow a taper protocol or anything. Right. So in the week after you did the 240 mile race, what were you doing each of those days prior? I mean, when did you actually fly out to Utah? Uh, I flew out Friday mm. um, to, to Utah um, early in the morning. So I had um, Monday through Thursday, I rode, um, you know, uh, actually the two, the Monday after, or I'm sorry, I didn't ride Sunday. That that particular race was Saturday night. Mm. So I started. I worked all day in the shop, and then went and did the race at seven. Started at seven p.m., finished at seven a.m., and then I had to work on Sunday. Um, so I didn't ride Monday, and oh. then I rode Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my normal fifty-mile ride in the morning before work. Incredible. That is uh, that is something in itself, Dave. <laughs> I, I and, think that's why I'm okay at ultra events is I'm just yeah. very consistent with riding 40 to 70 miles. I don't necessarily go out and ride huge, huge distances, but I'm very consistent at that, you know, 50, mm. 60 mile mark. Now, given that you, you do so much riding and especially even riding between huge events, you know, within one month doing two 500 plus mile races, do you ever take throughout the, the year, um, any kind of break or rest period? And what does that look like for you? Um, you know, I, I don't, it, it does change though. In the winter, you know, obviously in Wisconsin, we have snow and I can't ride outside. So I do ride a little bit on the trainer. So I'm not putting in as much time. Um, last year and specifically, I did way more strength training and lots of yoga that replaced a lot of my ride time. So my riding mm -hmm. kind of tapered down to about an hour to an hour and 25 minutes a day. And then mm. I was doing some yoga and, and strength training um, to make up that difference in, in time. Mm, so um, I just can't ride on a trainer very long, you know, even, mm, yeah. even with all the great new technologies like Swift, I'm, yeah. I just am not motivated to ride on a trainer. Yeah. Very interesting. So I, I tend to ride outside whenever I can. Um, yeah. If it's way too cold, like it is a lot of times, then I then I don't. Um, I've started fat biking a little bit and uh, that makes it a little better, you know, so you put on your warm clothes and you go out and ride in the snow. Um, but, but I ride definitely less in the winter. Yeah. And interesting that you talk about riding on the trainer because 
I believe in the Hoodoo 500 this year, there was an actual virtual option and there were a number of people that participated. And I believe uh, most of those racers completed the course in about 40 plus uh, hours. So that's a very long time to be on a stationary indoor trainer. Would you ever consider doing something like that? Or do you just run away from something like that? (laughs) No, well, I have done 24 hour charity rides on trainers, um, but I just don't like doing it anymore. You know, Mm. I, the most I've done is uh, 12 in recent times. The most I've done is 12 hours. Mm. Um, Yeah. I, I, my mind just, I can't do it anymore. Maybe (laughs) because I have, I've done it, you know, like, like Hoppo, right? Chris Hopkinson, Uh that guy can sit on a trainer forever. I see his rides and it's like, I just can't do that. And Mm. honestly, I don't know if that helps at all, right? Mm. You're just pedaling along. It's not like you're specifically, you're surviving after a while when you're on a trainer that long. So, Mm. so I don't know if it really helps. I I honestly found that yoga is probably the best new thing in my life that Mm. um, I love doing. And I miss right now because our yoga studio where I went is, is closed and I can't, uh, I can't do it on my own. I just, it's not the same thing. Mm. Tell me about what yoga does for you and why it's been working so well. Um, well, uh, multiple things. It, it certainly has made me stronger. My core strength is better. Um, I'm more flexible. So then I can use all of the, the muscles that I have. And then the mental part of it, I find myself going into those, uh, yoga moments of breathing when I'm on the bike, when it gets mm. hard and I'm suffering, then I just start to, to breathe and, and focus on, you know, one thing and, and that's moving forward. And so the breathing aspect of yoga has really helped, um, mm. with my riding. Yeah, that's, that's amazing to learn because after almost two decades of ultra riding, that even at this point, you were able to find something else that, that helped you to optimize your performance. That's, uh, that's an incredible, I think, uh, thing to think about for all of us, no matter how long we've been riding. There's always something more that you can do or something you can do to tweak your performance. So that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's what that's what I've found has been able to keep me going is is just to keep working on whatever I can to increase that performance. So mm. now where would you put yourself on a scale of one to ten in terms of your fitness right now? Ten being uh, very fit. I, w- I would say I'm uh I'm an eight right now. Huh. Interesting. An eight. What would yeah. ten look like? And are you planning to get there for something specific on your roadmap right now? Uh, t- 10 would be a little bit leaner. Um, hmm. and, uh, you know, that's usually when I'm getting ready for Ram, I feel like I'm at a 10, but I'm not there right hmm. now. Um, hmm. just because it's hard, um, to not have events, you know, you have all these events getting canceled. So hmm. it's hard to train for things when you don't have events. Hmm. Um, and you know, the eating aspect as well, I'm not as focused on nutrition away from riding, you know, I, mm. I'm not eating as healthy as I could eat. Certainly mm. uh, now, you know, I love all of the good foods, uh, mostly pizza, but uh, <laughs> ice cream, you know, so, yeah. so I quit eating ice cream in the winter and that helps, but just because I'm not riding, you know, when you ride a ton, you can kind of eat whatever you want. Mm. Although if you would focus a little more on that nutrition, I think you, you get stronger um, and you're better. And so my focus when I'm doing a big event that's really serious that I've got a lot invested in. Then I focus on that leading up to it. Uh, mm. every, all aspects, my nutrition and everything. Mm. I don't necessarily do that when I'm training. Mm. 
Interesting. So you did manage to do at least two big events in the, within this last month. What else did you have planned for 2020? And were you impacted because of the pandemic and because events were canceled? Yeah, I was going to do a bunch of gravel racing, actually, and not do any of the ultra races. Um, so I was going to do um, the um, I was signed up for the Belgian waffle ride, Dirty Kanza, mm. um, the Mid-South, um, which happened. I just didn't uh, choose to go. Um, and um, Rebecca's Private Idaho would be going on right now as we speak. And, and mm. so I had planned a lot of gravel races. Um, there were a bunch of other smaller ones, 24 Hours of Cummings, which is one in Iowa. So I was going to focus on a lot of gravel racing just because it's so much fun. Um, and because those were all canceled, I basically kind of was like, well, here's a race and it's happening. I'm going to go do this race. Mm -hmm. So even I've been, I started using my coach again. I wasn't using them after my last Ram for a while, just because I wasn't training for anything specifically. And I started using him so I could get some focus back into my riding. Cause I was just randomly riding. So, um, mm -hmm. it's helped a lot. And, uh, so now because those races were canceled, I'm, doing just more more of these endurance races that I know are happening where you're not in a group of people and mm. um, they're not big races so it's not high volumes of people mm. interesting so when was your last Ram Dave and when do you expect your next one to be uh, I did 2019 and that I DNF'd uh, in that race I was in second place uh, 2000 miles into the race and my shoulder just kind of gave out and, uh, we were on the side of the road, pretty much stopped. And, and, um, I just kind of said to the crew, I think we're done. And, and, um, uh, so that's my last Ram. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of doing it in 2021. I'm pretty focused, uh, on the concept of it. Um, mm. it just takes a lot to pull it off and, and do it. And being a small business owner, it's sometimes challenging to get away and make it happen. So, yeah, yeah. What else do you have on your roadmap going forward? Especially that, you know, some events, you know, they are able to operate in some form or another. Others may stay canceled for some time. Is there anything that you're hoping to do in the next 12 months outside of a potential 2021 Ram? Um, yeah, uh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go do Silver State 508 coming up here in two weeks. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then I'm going to go do uh, the Natchez Trace. Mm. Um in October. And then I'm doing, uh, a brutally hard gravel race, the Iowa wind rock in Iowa, um, which is about a 380 mile gravel race that I dropped out of the last time I did it. And I'm going to go back and make sure I finish that race. Mm. Um, so those are the, the big races that I'm uh, going to do. Right. So you're not planning to do the 24 hour world time trials. Is that something that you usually do? Uh, I'm on the waiting list for it right now. I didn't, I wasn't <laughs> going to do it because yeah. I was doing a bunch of gravel races. So I never uh -huh. signed up, but I did sign up. Now I'm on the waiting list. Um, mm. you know, that race is awesome. And it's interesting because, the the first year it happened, um, I was like the first three years I did it, there was like five people there and now <laughs> it's turned into a most awesome race. You know, when we yeah. were doing it, it was like five or six of us and, mm. and Rick and Fred, both link kept saying, Hey, come do this. It's going to grow. It's going to be bigger. Yeah, yeah. And I kept saying it would be cool if there was like a real world championship where all people from all over the world came. And, and so that's finally happened. And now it's, yeah. you know, it's a cool race and it's fun. Um, right. It's not my specialty just because the terrain and things, it's pretty flat and it's really fast. And, mm. um, and I'm 
I'm marginally fast. Um, you know, I can <laughs> suffer and things like that, but to go, you know, 24 miles an hour for 24 hours, that's not quite my strong point. Mm. I mean, I've always done in the 440 miles, 460, but uh, mm. that that's really good, but it's not quite as fast as the guys that are winning. Right, right. Yeah, very interesting. Now, kind of getting back to the Hoodoo 500 for a moment, I was doing a quick Google search and I learned that Hoodoo actually is uh, talking about the tall, thin spires of rock that are common throughout that area. So is, is this the kind of thing that you're looking at all day as you're riding there? Uh, part, of the, part of the time in a few of the areas, yes. You know, that's uh, in the Escalante area um, where those hoodoos are. And yeah, that's why the scenery is so good. Um, a lot of that scenery happens at night. Um, mm. So when you're doing the race at night, you miss a lot of that good stuff. Mm. Um, so you miss a lot of that at night. Um, yeah. where, where, you know, if you're doing like they had a stage race. So if you're doing the stage race, you get to see all of that awesome scenery. Mm. Um, a lot of that best scenery is at night. Mm. Now tell me about your, your race strategy for something like the Hoodoo 500 that you just completed. How are you starting and what's your pace like? Do you think about that ahead of time? I, I do. Yep. I, I always want to start pretty fast and mm. ride pretty hard. Um, and so I'm always trying to, you know, um, keep, you know, for me, I don't really watch my Watts, uh, my power. Um, I have that capability, but I don't totally watch it. Mm. I am careful on the climbs as to how far I, I, um, how fast I go. Um, so, um, but I do, I, you know, I try to go as fast as I can, honestly, you know, so mm. 20, 21 miles an hour. Um, I always want to try to stay over 20 as long as I can try to keep that average. So I watch my average speed actually, and try to keep it up at a level. That's pretty good. Interesting. How about training and racing with power? Is that something that you do or heart rate? Uh, I train with power all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always race with power. Um, I, and, and I shouldn't say I don't race with power. I'm careful about how much power I use climbing mm. so that I don't, go too hard up the climbs. Um, but I don't try to stay at a certain power output when I'm racing. I just try to push the pace, which, uh, you know, which I've, I know kind of, I've got a good feel, but I do watch power on my climbs. You know, mm. it's sometimes depressing in a endurance race if you're watching your power, cause it only goes down over time. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. Oh, I'm pushing hard and I'm only showing a hundred Watts what's going yeah. on. So, so I don't try to watch that too often. Mm. Interesting. Now, in terms of your training, how much of it is structured? Uh, you know what? Now it's all full, pretty structured um, in the standpoint that I get a workout that says I'm supposed to do, you know, six efforts at a certain wattage um, for a period of time mm. uh, based on the day. And I, I generally follow those, um, you know, it, in the past, I wouldn't follow them as much, but I'll seek out the routes that I'm doing in the morning based on my training to make sure that I can hit those power numbers, you know, that I'm not on a downhill when I need to be on an uphill or once in a while, if I know I need a certain wattage and there's a climb, I'll just do loops on a climb to, to keep that consistent. So on, from a training standpoint, I do use it. I find it way easier to use power training on a trainer than outdoors, but Mm. I do, I do do it and I've gotten much better at training with, with power. 
outside mm-hmm. as well. Okay, I'd imagine that would be helping you, especially when it comes to your your speed for different events and and improving on that front. Yeah, for sure. That's the goal is to you know build your threshold power up higher so that you can sustain a higher power for a longer effort. You know, and um, uh, in a, even in an endurance race, you want to put out the most power you can for the longest time you can. Um, so so yeah, that's the that's kind of the goal is to build speed and power. Um, mm. That's always my. Point is, I sometimes I feel like if I could climb a little better on those long climbs, I would finish a little bit stronger in the overall races. So mm. you know, like like ramp, for instance, you're climbing a lot. If I would be able to climb just a little bit better, I think that would help me, and then not suffer so much in the heat because that slows me down for sure. Mm, interesting. So, is a functional threshold power FTP test something that you do on occasion? I do. Yep. Mm. Yep. Do you know what your FTP currently is? Uh, you know, I haven't done one for a little bit. Um, it's uh, the last uh, time we did a, a test, I was at about 340. Wow. So I, I think I think that's pretty close to where I'm at right now. Hmm. Um, yeah, and that that's uh, that's that's very high. I'd say that the average rider doesn't have anything close to that. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, Ultra that's rider. um, yeah. pro pro female racer level. Huh, That's what I always huh. say. I'm a pro. I would be right in the mix in the pro women's field. <laughs> Although when I do a gravel race, a lot of times, you know, that's funny is I'm end up a lot of times riding with the first women in a gravel race. So whoever is the female winner of the race, hmm. I find myself with riding with that person quite a bit. So, wow. so maybe that is my level. I'm not quite <laughs> pro male, right? Yeah. Interesting. So in, in the course, Dave, you, you get started very quickly, like you said, and unfortunately, this time around, or just around 15 miles, not even very far into the race, you already had a flat tire. Then I'd imagine you were pretty motivated and fresh to be able to push hard to catch the rest of the field. When did this field start um, spreading out? And, and give me a sense of who, you know, how many other voyagers were there that you started with? And then the supported riders, did they start before or after you did? Okay, so there were five, five other voyagers, so not a lot of voyager racers in the field. Um, we rode the first seven miles together as kind of neutral. And then Hmm. I kind of took off and got a, you know, got out on the course and got a flat. They all passed me. Hmm. Um, and then I ended up passing a few of them. The, uh, the eventual uh, leader, when I finally caught him, he was actually fixing a flat. So, Hmm. um, Brooke, um, flatted as well in the race. So, um, it's usually in the Voyager, a small field, and then the teams start behind us. Uh, or, or the solo races started two hours behind us. So they started at 7 a.m. Okay. And then, of course, since you won the overall, I guess you probably never saw any of those solo supported riders? Correct. Correct. Yep. I started seeing uh, the, the first team came by me um, after I finished the descent of Boulder Mountain. Um, so that was probably about 300 miles into the race is when the, the winning team, and, and I believe they set a record this year. That's when they passed me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was stopped at a gas station getting some water. And oh, then so. um, the other teams passed me, um, two teams passed me um, on the last climb um, or, or the big climb um, after Pankwich. Um, we, there's a long mountain climb that takes us to, to the top of Cedar Breaks. And they passed me on that climb, two teams that were mm. took second and third in the race. They passed me on that. Otherwise, uh, no one else passed me. Mm. 
And you said that was about a 300 miles into the, into the ride? Uh, the first one, yeah, was uh, right at uh, just about Pink. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't. It was after Boulder Mountain. So it would have been Bicknell um, mm -hmm. on the course, which is uh, in the top. Uh, I see right over there. Right, yep. Bicknell, so that's where the 260. first team passed me there. And then the next two people passed me um, on the climb, um, basically around Duck Creek Village in the Dixie National Forest after Pankwich. Hmm, so right down in there, that's yeah. where the next two teams passed me. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Now, in the course overall, I'd imagine you're studying it to some degree beforehand. I mean, you have raced this course before, so you also know it. Tell me about the different sections and just your own preferences or which ones do you enjoy the most and which ones aren't uh, really your favorite? Um, yeah, so on this particular uh, course, um, the start is really good um, all the way to probably um, Colorado City. I like that kind of terrain. There's some climbs and some rollers. And, mm. um, and then we did go through a new section uh, for me this year called Coral, Coralville. Mm. And that was a really cool, not busy road at all because some of the roads get pretty busy on this course. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very hard for me to get my rhythm on that section. And that was a new section. It was a really cool area to ride. And it kind of was to my strong point, it was kind of rollers and things, but I just mm. kind of twisted and turned and I couldn't really get into a good rhythm there in this particular uh, race. Maybe that's what it was. Um, and then um, to the first gas station, Chevron is pretty good time um, that I like. Um, and then um, there's a stretch to Escalante that I really like. There's a few climbs with some really good downhills um, and that's a nice section too. Um, and then Cedar Breaks is going over that climb is just challenging for me. So that's an area I struggle with is, uh, is that section and is getting that, over that Cedar Breaks climb. Is that the one right here? Uh, nope. That's the second big climb. Okay. Cedar Breaks. So that's at like 400 miles okay. in the event. Okay. Um, that's the first, uh, first that's Boulder Mountain, the first climb. Hmm. Um, and that's the second climb. Uh, I see. So that stretch right there is very challenging. Cause you kind of, you kind of have this consistent, steady climbing, and then you've got some downhill, you know, mm. so you get up to about 8,500 feet and then you have a downhill area, but then you really step up and start climbing seriously. Mm. And, uh, there are some flats in the in between there and it's just hard to get your rhythm and momentum. And then those climbs mm. get pretty steep. Now, was it, uh, in the evening time or what time of day was it when you were climbing uh, through here? So I started, uh, that climb uh and it was uh, in the morning so like 5 a.m mm. you know way at the lower level of the climb so about 350 miles mm. so right about there i started um yeah right in that area at five and so i was in the the middle morning sections on that climb and it just took forever to get up over that climb it just seemed yeah. like i was climbing way too long but then you got a huge downhill which is actually wears you out too. The road is kind of narrow and it was super windy. So that downhill was a little, a little sketchy because you have car traffic and uh, the wind is blowing you around. Um, and then you, you, as you hit that, as you're moving your uh, pointer there, there's a couple little kickers in there that get you. So, um, so that's where I found, you know, that's even though it was downhill for a long time, it was a challenging downhill. You're definitely getting blown around and lots of traffic 
behind mm. you, you know, big RVs coming up behind you. So oh yeah, I'm very close. Incredible. And so the beginning of this climb, you said about 350 or so. The, the top there is about 410. So that's a very long time to be climbing overall. Yes. Yep. You get into about 10,000 feet and then you're dropping to about 5,000. So that, that in itself also is, is, is a, a very long descent there, about 25 miles or so. It is. Yeah. Super long. So the good thing is time goes by a little faster, but it was, mm. it was challenging descent because of the winds and the cars and the traffic. Yeah. And how about I'd imagine at that point you're feeling a little sleepy or did you ever hit any sleepiness through this ride? Uh, yeah, you know, that's the point where you just do start to lose uh, your energy is that climb. It just happens mm. to be, you know, 24 plus hours into the race. And so right. that is one of the more challenging parts of the course for, for multiple reasons. The climbing as, as well as, um, as you know, you're trying to get yourself awake um, mm. and, and stay awake. And, uh, and there's no stops in that section. So it's not like I could hit a gas station and grab a cup of coffee or something mm. <laughs> to get some caffeine or a Red Bull or whatever, which right. I do that once in a while. And so there was no spots at all even to stop there. Wow. And I'd imagine at this point, perhaps there are some parts of you physically hurting or tired, maybe your hands, maybe your neck, or your back. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, for the most part, my body is pretty good. Um, um, even carrying the pack, I'm okay. My feet mm. this race were we're hurting a lot. So I, I do have some shoes that are a little newer um, and I haven't ridden in them for a long time. So my feet were kind of killing me on that big climb. Um, and, and I think it was because I was getting a little dehydrated, frustrated, dehydrated, and, and a few other little things around it that um, were causing my, my body some issue. But for the most part, um, that doesn't always happen. My shoulders will get sore when you're carrying the pack. So when I finished, I had a couple bruises on my shoulders oh, just from yeah. carrying the pack. Mm. Um, and that's always hard to carry a pack when you're on a long sustained climb like that. Yeah, I'd imagine. So overall in the, in the 510 or 512 miles rather, what was the, the highest point for you in the race and maybe a low point? Uh, you know, the highest point, um, was probably pretty pretty early in is one of the first big climbs is kind of a nice climb and the the sun's rising and uh, I really enjoyed that climb so only like you know 30 miles into the race it was really good and then I think the lowest point was when when you leave Cedar City um, I stopped at a gas station and you leave and you have the heat and a headwind and uh, just a sustained little bit of a rise for like 25 miles as you head out. And um, it's, it's basically an up for 25 miles, just a slight grade upward. And that's one of the hardest spots. It starts to get really warm. Um, and then once you make, there's a city that you reach and you make a turn and then you kind of begin your heading back towards St. George to the finish. Um, that, so that stretch of 25 miles is really hard. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. I'm sure it feels like a lifetime in itself out there doing 512 miles. Now you do race a lot faster than some of the average riders. So 35 hours, I guess, makes it a bit of a shorter ride for you compared to 40, 50 hours. What is the right. cutoff time for the Voyager category? It's uh, 48 hours. 
Okay. And, and I always think about that too, Justin, you know, when I do a race and it's really hard and I finish in 35 hours, I go yeah. and I'm, you know, took a shower and I've eaten, cleaned up, got some sleep and I'm thinking, wow, there's guys still out on the course at, <laughs> you know, 46 hours into the event. Right. And, and to me, that's hard. Right. So mm. it's sometimes people, you know, give you credit for going really fast. But to me, I get to look at the people that are just out there suffering and surviving to finish the race. Um, and look at it as that's a super challenging thing for them. Right. And I, I imagine you think the same thing with the race across America, because what was your fastest uh, completion of that? Uh, eight, eight days and 20 hours. Wow. Incredible. So you're watching some solo racers for three or four days after that, still out there on the course. And at that point, you've probably uh, recovered somewhat and uh, able to enjoy yeah. the rest of the race then. <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in 2015, when I finished that race, there were a lot of racers I knew that were doing the race, mm. and they were all out there. There was a big battle at, at about 10 and a, 10, 10 and a half days, and mm. riders, and they suffered through some rain for a long time. And I went to the finish line and watched like three, four people that I know that just yeah. suffered to get to the finish line. And it, you know, it wow. was emotionally challenging for me because I knew what they suffered through to get there. Mm. Um, and so even though I had been done and cleaned up and rested for a day and a half, almost at that point, I was, um, I was amazed at their uh, tenacity to keep fighting through that rain. And, and so that's always pretty impressive to me is when guys are really suffering hard through different conditions that I faced and get to the finish line. So it's fun mm. to see. Mm. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, Dave. Now, you did an excellent job. Big congratulations again. It's incredible that you ride self-supported and are able to compete so well with even the supported racers, even the teams. 35 hours, 43 minutes, that's an incredible time. And it is also a, a new record for the Voyager overall and for your category. How would you rate your performance on this event, scale 1 to 10, 10 being excellent? Uh, I would say it was a 9 because okay. it was good. Um, I was hoping to do 32 hours and uh, 32 and a half hours. Hmm. Um, I, I set the 50-plus record at 35 hours, but I, I also have the 40-plus record, which is 33 hours and... 40 minutes. Wow. And so I have that record too. So I wanted yeah. to really beat that number. Mm. And so although I had a good race, the conditions led me to that, you know, time and things, mm. I was hoping to go a little faster. So that's why, mm. uh, although it was a good, a good race and I was very happy with it, yeah. it didn't quite, I didn't reach my goal. So, <laughs> you know, that was, yeah. but, but it was, I, my goal was to beat my younger record of, of the 40, <laughs> you know, when I was yeah. in the forties. Jeez, must be something else to be competing with yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. That's uh, that was what I was trying to do, right? Is beat my previous record. So uh, yeah, and yeah, I guess that doesn't happen all the time, you know. Yeah, I guess in your Garmin, you could even upload your previous forty plus record there and be competing, right? And you can get all. I could have. Of... <laughs> Maybe that's what I should have done. It was a different course, so oh, okay. I was joking with them when they said, "Oh, you got a record on a different course," and I said, "Well." you can't give everyone records just because the course is a little different all the time. And she's mm. like, well, you get the record for this course. So <laughs> it's, it's good. Yeah. Well, terrific job there, Dave. Big congratulations, both on 
the Hoodoo 500 victory, but also on the race across Oregon. And we'll definitely be following your journey through the rest of this year. I know you have a few other events and we really hope that in 2021, we can see you out there on the roads of Ram again, because you really do put on quite the performance. And I must say, as an American myself, it's very exciting to watch a fellow American competing on the global stage and doing so well to represent uh, our country. And so tell me about that for you. I mean, just being an American and in an event like Ram, there are other Americans, but, um, uh, more and more so over the years, a lot of global riders from, from Europe and other con- uh, countries as well. Yeah, you know, I take uh, pride in the fact that um, I'm maybe carrying the flag when I go to that race for us. And I know people are um, watching and um, cheering for me because they, they want to see an American win a race that happens in America, you know, and that mm-hmm. hasn't happened since um, uh, Alan Larson did it in 2003. So mm-hmm. it's been a long time, you know, that's. 18 years it'll be so you know um when i look at it and and i enter a race i always say well i'm the the chance to win you know there might be other u.s racers who are faster um in fact i know there are sometimes but i also know what ram is and they're not i don't Mm. think they're as fast in ram as Mm. i am i have a really good team when i've done the race so um so i i take pride in the fact that i'm trying to to win for myself and for the u.s Mm. so that there is something that to be said for that most definitely. And so we will be cheering you on and, and, and hope to see you out there. Hope everything works out and the Race Across America 2021 edition can, can still be on. So we're all keeping our fingers crossed for that. But Dave, pleasure speaking with you. A couple short questions, sprint round to the finish line, just to end on a fun note. First question I have for you, you ride a lot, but when is your next, what would you consider your next long training ride? <laughs> Uh, t- tomorrow I'm going out oh. to do, uh, at least a hundred miles on gravel tomorrow. So I'm going to go out cool. and there's a, a gravel race that was canceled. I'm going to go ride that course, uh, tomorrow. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to do it, do, do a little more than the hundred miles, but I think it'll probably end up being a hundred miles tomorrow. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like fun. And some of your favorite riding. Yeah. How would you rate yourself? I'd imagine on the high end in terms of bicycle maintenance, one to 10, 10 being great. Uh, you know, I'm pretty good, although I don't work on my own bike a lot. You know, oh. I usually have the guys in the shop do it. I'm busy helping someone and, and I always look at it as a way to see, uh, the quality of work that our, our guys do. So like I just went to a new tubeless setup on my bike and oh, cool. had one of the younger kids do it, um, uh, and, and wrote it today and it held up. So I, I'm giving them an, an extra bonus. I'll buy them lunch tomorrow cause they, oh, nice. they survived a day of riding, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay. You know, some of the technology on the newer bikes, I can certainly do all my own maintenance, but uh, mm. I, I tend not to, I tend to let the guys in the shop take care of that. Yeah. And since you ride so much and especially doing very long races, 500 plus miles Ram, I mean, what does maintenance look like for you? I mean, how often are you having to do certain things on your bike? Oh, well, uh, all the time, you know, so my, a lot of times I'll finish a ride and come right to work and hang my bike up and one of the guys will grab my bike because they know, you know, it has the chain probably hasn't been lubed, um, you know, uh, in a couple hundred miles. So I, yeah. I replace my chain generally every, um, 2000 miles, um, mm. because that really affects the shifting of the bike. And right. so that happens sometimes, you know, uh, in, in, you know, if I'm doing a couple long races in, you know, a two month period, right. I'm probably putting new tires on my bike, um, every two months for sure. 
Um, mm. you know, and when you have multiple bikes, that happens because I like to ride all of my bikes, you know, yeah. <laughs> I take pride in, in a week if I can ride all the bikes I have on some certain kind of terrain that they are suitable for. Um, yeah. that, that's a cool thing. Yeah. Awesome. Now you've owned a number of bicycles through the year. You have a number right now, but is there still a dream bicycle that you would like to have one day? <laughs> um, well, when I did 2019 Ram, I, I had the Peter Sagan Roubaix mm. and, uh, it was cool. I love the gold color of the bike. I'm kind of into those bikes. And when, um, when I, um, got it built up, like a customer came in and said, I'll buy that bike when you're done with it after Ram. And so I'm, uh, so I said, yeah, sure. And then I rode it and I really liked it and I sold it to him. And so now I have a tarmac in the same color, the Peter Sagan gold color and the same customer came in and he wants to buy that bike. So, um, you know, um, I I don't, you know, this was our 25th year of being in business and I was going to do a custom, uh, colored, uh, bike and, uh, I just never got to to doing it. So, um, Mm. so I, I like the, I like, gold and black colors of like the Sagan bikes from maybe two or three years ago. So now that all of the bikes are really cool. So I I don't, I used to Mm. really be fired up about those and now I just look at it. It's a tool that lets me go ride. So it's, Mm. you know, it's just a bike. Um, it's a really nice bike. It's not like I have a junkie bike. So, (laughs) um, they're all really nice. So I, I'm lucky enough on that standpoint that I just use it as a tool and, and it's, uh, you know, when I see a cool bike, I certainly like it and admire it, but I look at it personally that they're just let me go do what I love to do. Yeah. Very cool, Dave. Final question. Who would you like to nominate for an episode on the show? A story that has touched you, inspired you, someone that you, you'd love to learn more about? Oh, who? Ah, geez. I've ridden with Marco for so long from Slovenia, Marco Balo, and, and uh, we have a unique track record along the way that um, I, I look to him right now as someone that is still fighting out there and, and mm. doing amazing things on a bike, even as he turns 50. Um, mm. So I always look at it that way that, you know, he's amazing. Um, of, of course, Peter Sagan is for people nowadays, that's the coolest cyclist to watch, right? Mm. He's the most fun, the most spirited, the most unique. Um, and, and, and I have to admit, you know, uh, even though there was some cheating there, Lance Armstrong is always good to me because he, he trained harder than anyone. He was smarter than anyone. He even cheated better than everyone, but (laughs) everything he did was calculated. Um, you know, his personality style was a little off, but, but he was pushing, uh, pushing the limits of the sport, um, in, in his day. So, um, you know, for, for better or worse, I like Lance Armstrong too. Um, so, you know, but more local, more to me is probably Marco Ballo for sure. Cause he's a strong rider, a good friend, a really good person. Um, and he has helped now a lot of people, you know, that's become his business is to help other riders succeed doing the things he likes to do. And right. I like to do so. Yeah, I think Marco nice. for sure. And, and we did, for those who don't know, recently have an interview with Marco covering his recent world records that he said it actually turned out to be 12, but he was going for two specific ones, including the fastest time to do a thousand kilometers. And on that note, I, so I do have actually one more question because of the pandemic and there's been a lot of virtual riding, a lot of rides canceled. A lot of people have been flocking to set a world record. Is that on your radar? 
Uh, it isn't. It isn't. There is one ride I want to do and and uh, get a you know an FKT on is um, is it's a mountain bike ride, which also makes it really hard for me because I'm not that skilled. But I want to do um, Fruta to um, uh, it, it's the Cocapelli Trail, mm. and I want but I want to do it out and back. There are known times one way, but there's not a known time there and back, which would be mm. a two hundred. 80 mile mountain bike ride on some pretty hard terrain. So, um, I have that on my radar to do, but I just yeah. haven't, <laughs> I went out and rode part, part of the course this year to do it. And, mm. and I suffered and crashed a few times. And so it's just not my skill level. Um, but that's something I do want to tr- attempt to do. All right, cool. Well, we'll be watching Dave. So big congratulations again on your Hoodoo 500 victory and everything else that you've been up to. Can't wait to see what else uh, you, you, you get to do in the next 12 months and we'll be following your journey and cheering you on. So thanks for taking the time to share all of your experiences with the Hoodoo 500. Look forward to having you back on the show again soon. Great. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you got some inspiration. Go out there, race Dave, even if you're supported. Give him a run for his money and give him some motivation, especially on Ram, so that way he can bring the American flag to the finish line in first place. Until then, everyone, keep spinning ultra. Mm.